It is the first Sunday of the month, so we will depart from our normal study in the book of Acts and we will look at a psalm. So turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 55. Psalm 55, we're just a little bit over a third of our way through our study of the book of Psalms. I think that we have all benefited from this study. It's good for us to stop and study the wisdom literature from time to time. Psalms has certainly been a great benefit, and I think Psalm 55 today will be as well. Let's, let's read through this psalm in its entirety. Psalm 55, to the choir master with stringed instruments, a maskal of David. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness, Selah. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord. Divide their tongues. For I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls. And iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its mists. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan, and He hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from of old, Selah, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days but I will trust in you. 
Psalm 55. So we begin here with the superscription. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a masculine of David. We really don't have a ton of information given here. This is part of the Hebrew text. This is not added by our translators. It is in the Hebrew text, so we take this to be accurate. This actually is precisely the same beginning as Psalm 54. The difference is in Psalm 54 there was an occasion when this happened. Here, there is no occasion. We actually do not know when David penned this psalm, but we may have a clue, at least a, a general clue. As we'll see when we, when we work through this, you may have noticed when we read it, David wrote this when he was betrayed by some close associate. Well, you know, you think of a betrayal, you think of his son Absalom and his good friend and confidant Ahithophel when they betrayed David, but for most of the commentaries that I read, they are unlikely to be spoken of here. One of the primary reasons for that is that here in verse 20, there is this breaking of a covenant with David. Nothing like a covenant was made between David's son Absalom and his former advisor and confidant Ahithophel, at least as far as we know of. It's not in Scripture if they made some sort of covenant. But there is a man who made an agreement with David, a man who continually broke his covenant with David. If you're familiar with the history, you know that this man's name was King Saul. So while we cannot know for certain, it's, it's possible this psalm was penned at some time that David found himself running from King Saul, and that was actually often later in Saul's reign. It mentions here a mascal of David. We've seen this before. This is probably just some type of musical direction. If it's not, we don't know what it means, but it, that's probably what it is. This psalm would be classified as a psalm of lament. I think you could feel that if you know what the word lament is. That, that's a passionate expression of grief. As David pins this, he is in a tough situation. And, he, and so he cries out to God in, in, in agony. Not merely external agony, but internal agony. That, that will become even more clear as we work our way, our way through this text. If I had to give a, a title to this psalm, I know the ESV titles it, Cast Your Burden on the Lord, but if I had to title it, I would title it Trusting God's Promises. Now, just for the record, the SV translators never called me to ask me what I thought. But I think trusting God's promises perhaps fits a little bit better. In this text, David progresses from feeling defeated by his enemies in the beginning to trusting God's promises in the end. And in that, David is just such a wonderful example for us. All right, let's quickly work through the text. The first three verses again. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan. Because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me and in anger they bear a grudge against me. So what, whatever is going on here, whatever the setting may be, whether it's 
Absalom and Ahithophel, or it is, as I would tend to think, King Saul. David obviously feels, at, at least to this point, that God has not risen up to defend him against his enemies. And, and that's why he writes, Give ear to my prayer. And even more so, he says, Hide not yourself from my plea of mercy. It's as though David is saying, God, please speak up. God, please defend my cause. It's, it's not as though David misunderstands that God is omniscient, that He knows all things, or that God is omnipresent, that He is, that he is everywhere. That's not it. David does understand those things, but he is merely sharing his heart here. This is, this is inner turmoil. He says, I am restless in my complaint, and I moan. David is suffering, albeit not because of anything that he had done. And he feels as though God has at least not yet taken a vested interest in his troubles. Not at this point. He will see better by the end of the psalm. But here, he is merely expressing his feelings, his, his heart. And David is termed here a righteous sufferer. In other words, he is suffering but not because of anything he did. We don't mean to say that David is somehow righteous on his own, but that he is not guilty of some sin which brought this on to him. And he's clear. This is someone he considers, at least now, to be his enemy. Now, as, as we work our way through the psalm, we're actually going to see that this person was not always David's enemy. This person was actually a very close ally of David at one point, and that's why this hurts so badly. But let's not get there before we get there. This opponent dropped trouble on David, according to David's own words. He bore a grudge against him. And David feels oppressed by this wicked person. Uh, the Expositor's Bible Commentary, it's actually edited by Tremper Longman III and David Garland. They add this note, quote, David does not pretend there is no problem, end quote. That, that caught my attention when I, when I was reading this week. Isn't that how we are sometimes when we go to the Lord in prayer? We just, rather than pouring our heart out to God, we act as though all is okay. We just work through the normal theological jargon that we normally pray. Listen, guys, David is an example of what prayer should, at least sometimes, look like. Pouring out our hearts to God because of deep despair and continual trouble. We all go through hard times. Our prayers should sound different to God during those times. They should be very personal. I think you can see at least why this psalm is referred to as a lament psalm. David is in grief and he's pouring out his griefs, his complaint, if you will, to God. Verse 4, David says, My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. Selah. 
I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. That's verses 4 through 8. You, you ever been caught in a situation, I'm sure you have, where you just thought, I have got to get out of here? Most of us have found ourselves in that type of situation. It could be any you know, various thing that happens. Well, that's precisely what David feels here. I've just got to get out of this situation. The, the danger began as some type of external persecution. If it was Saul, Saul's trying to kill his life. But the result was that David was overwhelmed internally. This, this is not something that just happened externally. This is something that happened inside David's very being. David's heart, we might say, is sick. He knows that his life is in jeopardy. At least from the human standpoint, David knows that his life is in jeopardy. In fact, he writes here, Horror overwhelms me. Horror overwhelms me. Most of us don't even like to watch horror movies, right? David says, horror overwhelms me. This is strong language. David is describing what we might call stark terror. And as most of us would, David wishes that he could just fly away from it. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, he writes. I would fly away and be at rest. You ever, you ever felt that way? Like, I'd just like to get out of here. I mean, David's life, again, humanly speaking, is literally on the line, and he feels it. If he had the ability, he would get away from the trouble to a place of shelter, he says here. Now, this is not a lack of faith on David's part. It is not. Here's why I say that. David had many opportunities to flee Israel during his lifetime. Again and again. He could have, he could have gone away and stayed away. That is not what you see in David. He always returned. He, he hung around. Why is that? Why did David not do what his heart is feeling here? Why did he not fly away and stay away? Here's why. David was God's anointed king. He knew that. And through him, we see this in the Davidic covenant, we'll mention this a little bit later, but through him the Messiah was to come. David knew that. This is not a lack of faith on David's part. This is just how David feels. I wish I could fly away and stay away. He's expressing what he's feeling. I just got to get out of Dodge. He didn't do that though. And the reason that David did not do that is because he believed God. He believed God. Nevertheless, David does cry out for relief from his enemies. Look, look at verse 9. This is the type of language in the Psalms, by the way, that sometimes takes us back. We have, we have difficulty grasping this. Verse 9, destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is, is in its midst. 
Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. So this is, this is what we call imprecation. This is an imprecatory prayer. In other words, by imprecation we mean David is literally calling for God to judge his enemies, David's enemies. But those enemies just happen to also be God's enemies. Right? They're not only David's enemies. Now, if, if that concerns you that David is actually praying for judgment on these people, just hold on. I've got the answers, but we're not going to give them just yet. We're going to walk through the text, but we will come back to it. Just hold what you got. David wants God to judge those that opposed him. Those that were persecuting him. And he, he says here, divide their tongues. Now David is not saying take a knife and cut their tongue in half. Like, I, don't, I don't think that's the point. The, the, this is language that is reminiscent of God's judgment on the rebellious at the Tower of Babel. You may recall God told the people to spread out and populate the world. And they said, no, we're not going to. We're going to stay right here and we're going to build a tower that reached heaven. And the way that God judged them is He confounded their language so that they all spoke different languages and they couldn't work together. And then He forced them out into the world. That's why we see countries today that all speak various languages. You can trace that back to the Tower of Babel. Well, that's the same language David is using here. The language of of judgment. Divide their tongues. Again, it's reminiscent of the Tower of Babel. And this enemy of David's had slandered him. And so David desires for his speech to become nothing more than confusion, just like it happened at Babel. By the way, listen to the state of Jerusalem, the city it's called here. Listen to the state of Jerusalem because of these wicked leaders. Violence and strife were in the city. Iniquity and trouble were in the city. Ruin, oppression, fraud. It even mentions here, day and night, they go around on its walls. You know, walls on a city back in this day were intended to be walls for protection, to keep the enemy out. But in this case, it almost seems like it is keeping the enemy in along with God's people. The walls are actually working against them, keeping them under oppression from the enemy. Now look, whether, whether Saul or Absalom or Ahithophel, whoever it is, the quality of life in Jerusalem had gone down because of wicked leadership. That just is how the world works. We can see it in America, we can see it in Russia, Australia, or whatever. Wicked leaders bring worse living conditions for the people. And that's precisely what happened here. So this means David is not only crying out for himself. This is about the community too. David sees the oppression of God's people in the city. And he cries out for those suffering under the reign of his enemies, those under the rule of God's enemies. So, so David is, is asking God to intervene and to intervene quickly, just like he did at Babel. I mean, when, when you know, God confounded their language, it was over that quick. And David is asking God to intervene here quickly, put a stop to this ruthless leadership and save your people from this 
oppression. This is not only about David. It, it is about David personally to some degree. It's David crying out of one that has stabbed him in the back, but he is also about the people of God, right? He wants them to have better conditions there in the city. And then verse, verse 12 sort of takes a turn. We get some insight here into the adversary of this psalm. David writes, For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. So again, this gives us insight into who this, this enemy is. He was someone whom David once considered a familiar friend. It is one whom David once took sweet counsel with. One who David worshipped with. This heightens the betrayal. If you've ever experienced betrayal from a brother or sister in Christ, or at least you believed at the time they were a brother or sister in Christ, that pain is much deeper than if it's somebody across town that you never met before. This, this is intense pain on David's part. And what hurt David so deeply is that it was not an enemy who taunted him. That's what hurts so bad. He says if it was an enemy, then he could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with him. Then he could hide from him. What David is saying here is this is not an outsider. No. He had those. He had enemies from other countries. He had outside enemies. But not in this psalm, the enemy is not an outsider. The enemy is very much an insider. David writes, but it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. You ever been betrayed by someone you consider to be a lifelong friend or, or maybe someone that you've invested much energy in? Most of us have. Most of us have. I know I have. It, it hurts deeply, far more than if it was a stranger. That's what David is saying here. This was not a stranger. Look, if somebody steals your parking lot at Walmart, it may tick you off for a minute, but it is not going to bother you for years to come. This instance is going to bother. This is different. This is an insider, not an outsider. The language here in, in this, this portion of the psalm is actually very similar to Psalm 41.9 where David wrote the words, Quote, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, he has lifted his heel against me. Now that ought to sound familiar to all of us because in John 13, the Apostle John actually quoted Psalm 41. Not Psalm 55, but he quoted Psalm 41 and referenced the betrayal of Judas Iscariot of our Lord there. Well, it's been a long-standing belief of commentators that 
Psalm 55 at the very least because of the similarity with Psalm 41 at least foreshadowed Judas betraying Jesus. A manuscript of Jerome's old Latin version actually titles this psalm the voice of Christ against the chiefs of the Jews and the traitor Judas. Now, I'm not telling you that's the meaning. I'm telling you that many believe it's the meaning. And again, there, there are similar concepts between David's betrayer and Judas, especially considering the fact that David was the, the anointed one, the one whom through Messiah was to come, and Jesus is Messiah. Right? So there, there are some similarities there. Well, David here then prays his second imprecatory you know, petition here. He says, let death steal over them. Let death take them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. It's difficult, again, not to think of Judas, but that's not David's primary intent here in this psalm. David wants his enemy to die. In fact, he actually words it, go down to Sheol alive, which probably means more than merely death. He's asking for judgment for his enemies to be cast into hell. You say... What in the world is going on in David's heart? This guy's all messed up. No, he's not. He is, I promise you he's not. Just bear with me. I'll, I'll give you some ex- explanation here in a moment. If you're familiar with Numbers 16, I know that's probably everybody's favorite book, Numbers. But there was a rebellion of some men against Moses, the rebellion of Korah. And two men that sided with him were Dathan and Abiram. And it says there of the death of Dathan and Abiram that the ground opened its mouth and swallowed them up with all that belonged to them and they went down alive into Sheol. That's what it says in number 16. David, no doubt, like he somewhat reminisced about the Tower of Bible, he, is, he is certainly has that rebellion of Korah here in his mind, the the language of justice here, because these men are not only David's enemies, these men are God's enemies. Just like Korah and Dathan and Abiram, they weren't just the enemies of Moses, folks. They were God's enemies. Verse 16, David says, But I call to God, and the Lord, that's God's name, Yahweh, Yahweh will save me. Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from of old. Selah. Because they do not change and do not fear God. So this is, this is the section of the psalm where the mood changes. David has been offering these laments. He began with despair. He, he sort of moved on to a complaint to God about his enemies. But now here, David, in response to the persecution, speaks a note of confidence in Yahweh Himself. The Lord will save me. 
Before he wanted to fly away like a bird and get away from the trouble. But now here in the psalm, David says, Yahweh will save me. How in the world could David know that? Here's how. Because God had promised him that he would sit on the throne. And God keeps his promises. Furthermore, God had promised him in the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7. Here's what God said to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That's not just talking about Solomon, by the way. That's talking about Jesus. Solomon lived, he did reign, but he died. His kingdom was not established forever. The reign of Christ will never end. David's circumstances looked grim. But God's Word is far more reliable than David's circumstances. And ours, for that matter. Many are arrayed against me, David writes. But he knew, just as the Apostle John would write centuries later, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. David knew God heard his prayer. That God would would give ear. That God would humble his enemies. And just for the record, David is not naming it and claiming it. That's not at all what's going on here. David is just trusting God to do what he had promised to do. Listen to this glorious description of God Yahweh. Yahweh is He who is enthroned from of old. In other words, God reigns. God has always reigned. And He will always reign. God reigns as sovereign over the affairs of men. And this stretches all the way back to the time Before time. From of old. Now what could David's enemies really do to him? God's running the show. Not men. As Paul put it in Romans 8.31, If God is for us, who can be against us? Certainly David was, was feeling that by this point of the psalm here. And then notice this description of the ungodly. Because they do not change and do not fear God. They they refuse to admit that God is God. They refuse to acknowledge God as their sovereign creator. So these are not just David's enemies in this psalm. These are the enemies of God. And they will face sure punishment. Verse 20, my companions, excuse me, similar, uh, singular, my companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. So this betrayer, I mentioned this earlier, this betrayer obviously had some sort of covenant agreement with David, a covenant which he violated. As far as 
Biblical information is concerned. We do not have everything written that has ever happened, right? We don't, we don't have a complete history, but we have all we need. And as far as biblical information is concerned, this tends to lean towards Saul as the betrayer here in this text rather than Absalom or Ahithophel because we don't ever see them making a covenant with David. But we do see Saul repeatedly promising that he would not harm David and he repeatedly went back on his word. That happened over and over. He promised it to David. He promised it to Jonathan, his son. To put it bluntly, the betrayer, if it's Saul, Saul lied through his teeth. Here's how David puts it. That's our modern 2024 rendition. He lied through his teeth. David poetically says, His speech was smooth as butter, yet wore what is in his heart. So he was saying one thing, but he really felt another. His words were softer than oil. They were good words. Yet there was nothing to really back them up. They were actually drawn swords. Whomever the betrayer was, to use a... To use a modern term for us, he stabbed David in the back. That's what David is saying. And then in verse 22, David says, Cast your burden on the Lord. Cast your burden on Yahweh. He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. This great confidence of David is rooted in the fact that God is the sovereign of the universe, that God is enthroned from of old. God is God, and so he says, cast your burden on Yahweh. Look, in the, in the courtroom of the great judge of all, there is no mockery of justice. There are no malicious witnesses. There are no dishonest lawyers. God will sustain the righteous in some way or another. Even if that means taking them out of this world, which for the righteous is a good thing. Because we go to the place where sin is no more, pain is no more, tears are no more, right? The death of a child of God is a good thing. Therefore, David encourages his audience here, cast your burden on the Lord. God is running the show. Submit to God's will. Pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's submission to God's will over ours. Then he ends by saying, but you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. While God will absolutely deliver the righteous, the ungodly will never escape judgment. This language actually just shows David's tendency to trust God all the more. He knows he will be vindicated in the end. And God will be shown to be God. David has just come full circle. He begins with this lament. He's, he's concerned. He's bothered. He complains about his enemies. And by the time we get through with the psalm, David is in a very 
good place where he has cast his burden upon the Lord. And he ends the psalm by saying, but I will trust you. What a great progression on David's part. This psalm really is is pretty straightforward, but I do want to tie up just a few loose ends before before we quit. Okay, back to this question I brought up early. Earlier, why imprecatory psalms? Why is David allowed to ask God to judge his enemies, right? That question has given a lot of people trouble. I mean, I mean, did David, a man after God's own heart, did he not love his neighbor? He's wishing death on his enemies here. Is it okay for us to... To pray judgment on the little old lady that cut us off at the last intersection? What about Romans 12? Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What about Romans 12 in relation to David's imprecatory prayer here? Okay, first things first. These words are inspired. This is God's Word. And just for the record, we aren't David. God has made no Todific covenant with me. And you could put your name in there as well. God is not breathing His Word through our prayers, right? Our prayers are imperfect, which is why we need the Holy Spirit to fix our prayers and offer them righteously to God. God is not breathing His Word through our prayers, our sermons, our writings, or anything else. This, though, is God's Word, Psalm 55. This is God-breathed. God made a covenant with David. Not only anointing him as king, promising him that he would sit on the throne and reign over his people. He did do that. But God also promised that the Messiah would be his descendant. And without the Messiah, we have no cross. And without the cross, all of us are still in our sins and all of Adam's posterity is going to hell. Think about that when you think of David's imprecatory prayers here. David is just asking God to keep his word. These people are the enemies of God. Not not only in the sense that they are lost, that they are that, but they are actually working against God's plan of redemption, which was coming through David, because through David... God was going to birth His Son into the world who is the Messianic King, the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world. That's what David is praying about. This this psalm is so much bigger than just the circumstances here. There's far more going on then in Psalm 55 than David just being mistreated by someone and then he's calling for their judgment. There's more here than that. My buddy Jeff Short said this, quote, The prayer of imprecation is no more 
than asking God to do no more than He has promised to do. End quote. That's right. All David really is saying in this imprecatory prayer is, God, do what you said you were going to do. That's what this is. That's what's going on. This is, this is confidence on David's part that God would fulfill His promise to bring the Messiah through him, and through him the Savior of the world would come. So these, these imprecatory psalms make so much more sense when you think of who penned them and what was going on if these enemies weren't destroyed. Second thought, what was it that changed David as we progressed through the psalm? Right? What, what was it that caused him to go from this complaint, this despair, to, but I will trust in you? Look back at verse 17. Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan and he hears my voice. Here's what changed David. Prayer. Prayer changed David. It was through prayer that David was reminded that God is in ultimate control of all things, including anything that the enemy could throw at him. Ultimately, one day, the righteous will be vindicated, and prayer reminded David of that truth. Not only that, David also remembers God's Word, knowing full well that it was reliable in spite of whatever was going on in his life. God's Word is more reliable than our circumstances. Prayer should teach us the same thing David learned here. It should remind us that God has made promises to us if we're believers, and those promises are absolutely reliable in every way, every time. God is trustworthy even when man is not. Lastly, David found solace in God's universal, sovereign dominion. God is enthroned from of old. Look, we're not praying to a God that's trying to help us. We're praying to a God who is sovereign over all of His creation. And it's this assurance that God rules the world that David remained sure that God's promises to him were certain. right? I mean, it, it, this is no problem for God. And David was sure that the Messiah, David's greatest son, would come and that one day he would sit on his throne and rule this planet just like God said. Look, if that was David's hope based on the Word of God, then certainly it should be our hope as well based on the same exact Word of God. And so we pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can see ourselves in David. Not that we're David. Not that we have the promises that David had. We do not but we are benefited by those promises that David had. And like David, we have troubles. Troubles that cause us to cry out to God for help. And He is a God who hears. May the Lord add His blessings to His Word.